vegan leather. Well, I think that it was a, you know, a really great marketing scheme to use the term vegan leather uh, when it really, it addresses products uh, that are by my majority made of PVC or polyurethane. They're made with chemicals, which are on many of the red lists of worst in class chemicals in the environment and harm our health. Welcome to Nothing to Hide, the More Giles podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Calfee. Moore & Giles is one of America's oldest leather companies. We were founded during the heart of the Great Depression, right here in Lynchburg, Virginia, in 1933. And almost 100 years later, our leadership is still in pursuit of one thing, the world's finest leather. Perhaps we even touched your life. Maybe it was in a hotel lobby, or your home, or perhaps this morning when you went to get a cup of coffee, you found your favorite leather chair in the corner, and you settled in. Well, that leather is probably Moore & Giles, too. Our goal was simply just to share some stories within this podcast, to take you on a journey, to let you experience what we experience. We'll teach you how leather's made and give you insight into some of the subtle nuances of the material. Did you know it's one of man's oldest materials? We're also going to take you to meet some of our favorite people in the world, designers and creative influencers, and people that are connected to Moore and Giles through one thing, leather. We hope you'll join us on the Moore and Giles podcast, Nothing to Hide. Hey guys, today on the Nothing to Hide podcast, my guest is our very own Beverly McCauley. Say hi, Beverly. Hey there. Bev is our Director of Education and Sustainability. Now that's a big title, and today we're going to focus mainly on the sustainability part. But really what that means is, is that Beverly is our spokesperson out there in the real world talking about the sustainability of leather and also educating our customers, our fans, even our own staff and leadership on what sustainability really is about. Uh, Beverly, you want to add anything to that? I think that sums it up pretty nicely, Daryl. Thank you for that. I am outside of Lawrence, Kansas, um, freshly uh, moved to a property where we are practicing some really exciting sustainable efforts here. Um, I think I've, I've decided to take it past my work life and into my regular everyday life, which has really been a challenge, but it's been exciting and uh, we love it here. I think that's one of my favorite things about you in this role, Bev, is that you um, really do live this lifestyle, right? Like this isn't just something that you put on for your uh, vocation. I think this is a calling for you. Um, so talk a little bit about that. Where did this draw towards, you know, a sustainable lifestyle towards, you know, I would say all things natural kind of come from for you. You know, looking at how our industry is changing, I really saw all of the pieces click into place when we started focusing more on things like biophilic design and healthy interiors and within our uh, framework olive tanning and declare labels and transparency, which I'm sure we'll get into in a moment. But um, our industry is really connecting all the dots between having um, a love of nature and wanting to protect it and bringing that into what we do. Um, I would say that we could title this podcast, Let's Talk About Vegan Leather. How do you feel about that? Vegan Leather. Well, I think that it was a, you know, a really great marketing scheme to use the term vegan 
leather uh, when it really it addresses products uh, that are by my majority made of PVC or polyurethane. They're made with chemicals which are on many of the red lists of worst in class chemicals in the environment and harm our health. Vegan leather is just an, another term for faux, faux leather, fake leather, something trying to be like leather. Its best day is its first day, and it degrades from that point on. Um, it's nothing like leather in that regard, because leather, you know, its best day, its worst day is its first day, and it gets better with age and use. Um, when you're looking at, uh, just from a very simplistic standpoint, the definition of leather is an animal hide or skin that has been tanned. So if you go away from that, you're not leather at all. So, um, you know, there are a few products out there that are interesting, very small percentage of alternatives that we're seeing like plant-based uh, products made of apple or pineapple or mushroom. Um, in those cases, it's a very small percentage of the market. There may be one or two companies that creates them. Um, if they do not have polyurethane involved, then, then they are more natural and they are a byproduct of some industry, but they're still not leather and they're limited with color and texture options. And they've also had very little data to back up their longevity. So the characteristics just don't really add up at all uh, with any of the alternatives when it comes to um, comparing them with leather. So is it fair to say that the word leather is almost misleading when someone says yeah. vegan leather? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think it, it would just be better to talk about it as it is instead of trying to um, compare it or make it be something that it is not at all um, similar to. Yeah. And I think that's something you and I have talked about at length is that for this thing that is, you know, man-made, so to speak, um, these faux products, um, we try so hard to make them look like the real thing, right? Like we roll on prints or we give them a texture. There's this deep desire to make them look like the real thing. And I think that's because somewhere inside of us in our DNA code, we are drawn and attracted to these organic materials that really do come from nature. And so I think for us in, in our line of work in leather, we understand that. And I think that deeper understanding that we truly are recyclers, you know, that we really are cleaning up the food chain is something that most people really don't understand. So if you wouldn't mind, would you kind of dive into that quickly? Let's, let's just almost role play and say, Hey, do you guys, kill cows to create your product, right? I think that's one of the most common questions. And so like, let's dive down that rabbit hole together really quickly and like address sure. this head on. Like where sure, does our absolutely. leather come from? Right. It's, it is a very common misunderstanding um, that animals are harmed for their hide. And I think part of that may come from the furrier industry, you know, years ago where we heard stories about, seals and minks and things like that. So, so yeah, I will say some of the um, exotic products that are out there that we do not carry as a company, um, that may be true, you know, uh, but with leather that we provide and leather in general, most of the leather that people are using in their clothing or their, their home products or upholstery 
is uh, coming from cows or bulls or bovine. There's also some shearling or sheep out there, but every bit of it is a byproduct from the meat industry. So if you think about it, if you were to talk about any other product, um, you know, you're taking something away from the landfill, taking it, you know, saving it, getting it out of that process and creating a durable, quality, functional product out of it. And it's beautiful to boot, right? Everyone would be celebrating that product. And that's what leather is. I mean, it, it is one of the original examples of sustainability. And it's the responsible answer to what would otherwise be a major environmental issue. Because without the leather industry taking those hides, and I mean, we're talking about approximately 285 million hides annually. Um, but taking that amount of leather and recycling them into this pr product that can be, I mean, it's used, it's gorgeous, it lasts so long. Um, it's, it's a huge deal. It also, you know, is a great example of circularity, which means, you know, salvaging the waste of one industry to create something useful that will outlast the alternatives. Um, when you have a leather product, you're less likely to replace it often. What we see with a lot of the faux alternatives is that, you know, someone selected it, maybe it's less expensive. Maybe they feel like they can care for it easier, which is also another uh, misnomer, I think, out there about leather. But they tend to replace it more often. So not only is it a product, uh, the faux leather is a product that will harm the environment and possibly the health of the individual that utilizes that product or makes that product, but it will also fill the landfill more and more often. And as it breaks down, it releases more toxins into the environment. So sustainability is, uh, is a big plus in the leather column. The other thing that a lot of people don't really realize until we start talking about it, and you've touched on it already, is that inherent connection that we have with leather uh, as a human you know, it becomes part of our story. I had a client recently who told the story, you know, he has a leather chair that he sits in every day to read the paper or whatever. And he said, you know, I don't think much of it. It's over time, it's patinaed. You can see where I lay my head on the, on the back of the chair. It's a little darker there. You know, it's patinaed. You can see where I placed my hands on the arms of the chair. It's a little darker there. He said, I just thought of it as, you know, an old leather chair, no big deal. He said, we recently had a conversation at home where my children, unbeknownst to me, have been secretly fighting over the chair as to who will inherit it. And he said he had a conversation with his daughter. And she said, Dad, when I see that chair, I see you. Mm. And I want that in my life it clicked, you know, for everyone in the room when he told that story, all of the designers at that firm were like, okay, now, yeah, you're, you're right. Mm -hmm. I do have this or that piece that I, I will keep forever or I will hand down as an heirloom because it is so special. And, and that is what we have uh, with leather that can never be duplicated with the alternatives. And that is such a good reminder that we live in a disposable culture. I think mm -hmm. the story you just told, it, it's so rich and so full and it draws us in relationally. 
Yet a lot of our behaviors don't match up with that. A lot of our behaviors in this disposable culture say, well, I'll just buy it and use it for a few years and then I'll just throw it away because it's cheaper to buy a new one. Right. What we're teaching, what we're trying to educate people on is, is like, you can buy it once or you can buy it twice. Let's buy it once and let's let the patina and age and wearing process add value to it over a period of time as -hmm. opposed to taking away. And, you know, I think it's easy to look at that in the Japanese design culture, right? Where Wabi Sabi has been a part of that culture since Mm -hmm. day one. Sometimes in a a consumer-based culture like our own, like it's harder to see those. But I think that, that we run into those. Like I look at older automobiles that have a beautiful patina on them, right? We obviously think uh, hard work and honesty are connected to that vehicle or that truck, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. I think about wood, you know, I think about banisters or handrails in older homes and you can just see the life in them. You know, you can um, know that hands for generations have touched that. You look at tools, for example, a tool is the same way, right? Where you know that a task has been performed. I think, when we think about leather, I think moving it out of this consumerism culture, this you know disposable culture, and moving it into a place of heirloom quality, into a place of wabi-sabi, into a place where patina adds value over time, um, mm-hmm. all of a sudden changes that mindset. So your story of that chair, that patina of that man's hands and his head, they meant that there had been a relationship there, right? And mm-hmm. there were stories connected to that relationship. And now all of a sudden, there's so much more value added. When you come at design from the perspective of, well, we're just going to throw it away in a few years because we've got to redo the restaurant anyway. You don't care if you use vinyl or PVC or you know a faux product because in your mind, it's just going to get thrown away anyway. Right. Right. And I think, you know, when you're speaking in terms of sustainability and being a responsible uh, participant in yeah. the world, you really st- you need to start looking at the waste that we create uh, yeah. as an industry. And by that, I mean the architectural and design or construction industries. I mean, we really do. Gosh, you know, sometimes I'll sit in a room full of designers and we'll start talking and I'll say, you know, just for a moment, think about every project you've ever specified and within those projects, the products, and within those products, the quantity. And where are those today, most likely? You know, look, at, look at what you contribute you know, to the world, uh, and it can be positive, or it could be really bad. <laughs> so it's you know, our responsibility, all of us, to really think about not only our just personal footprint, our personal impact, on the planet and the health of each other, you know, the health of our people and our animals and our species, but um, what we do for a living and how our decisions there make uh, a difference. You are probably one of the most thoughtful people I've ever met. And so I I don't say that lightly. Um, So I asked this question um, very carefully. How do you make those decisions in Beverly's own personal life? Like, Get, walk me through a couple decisions that you make on a personal level every day that you feel like are reflective of that. Personally, in our, in our personal life, um, you know, the decision that we made to move to the property we did, you know, planting natives, uh, native plants for me personally is something that's really uh, important um, for many reasons. The, you know, without getting too deeply into it, the, the roots of native plants grow 
very much uh, deeper into the ground, drawing down carbon from the atmosphere, helping to offset uh, climate change. So that's huge for me. Um, composting is, is something that we're doing, you know, looking at reducing plastics and uh, reusing. And, you know, when I purchase clothing, I tend to purchase clothing that has been worn before. You know, there's some great little boutique shops that are out there popping up, um, trying to purchase products that will last uh, or that I can adapt to different uses, um, using and utilizing waste. The way it translates into my professional career, aside from just, you know, the role that I play now, I find a place or a home for every sample. So if I provide samples to clients and they're finished with them or something is discontinued or whatever, I have a network of places and people that will take those and create something out of them. And in some cases, it is providing um, income for people who have lost jobs or are retired. Uh, it is also providing creative outlets for students of all ages, including um, adults with uh, developmental disabilities, uh, you know, which is personal to me because I have a family member with Down syndrome and he is, uh, they love to receive samples and utilize them in, in some way. So creating artwork and um, use out of waste is exciting. Is there uh, a movement in that direction that you're seeing in design as well? Absolutely. Um, you know, the first steps have been the industry recognizing the part we play that I mentioned earlier, you know, in, in climate reality. The built environment is reportedly responsible for, I think, roughly 75% of annual global emissions. Um, so the architectural and design community for years has really been trying to approach, you know, how do we do better? You know, some examples are the LEED certification program, uh, the 2030 challenge, which focuses on carbon neutrality. Uh, for all new and majorly renovated buildings by 2030, which is going to be here before we know it. Uh, and then recently, uh, the AIA 2030 commitment program. So the AIA, uh, or the American Institute of Architecture, is backing that up by, by really coming forward and committing to that program. From the design industry, we're seeing... So a really big focus on healthy interiors and ingredient and material transparency. So certification programs like DECLARE, the Living Building Challenge, the Well Building Standard, um, all of those are really ramping up. And just since the beginning of the year, I saw a huge increase in request for, you know, what I need to see your, your chemical list for each product, you know, demands like that, which is great to see. Uh, people are finally kind of hopping on board with, you know, we need to know more about what we are specifying, just like we all are feeling the same uh, focus toward our food. You know, um, we like to know what's in our food. It's, you know, we grew up maybe not thinking about it too much, but in, in the past decade or so, we've really brought a, a deeper uh, attention to that. Reducing waste is also essential, and I'm seeing a greater 
awareness of that within the design community. Um, and we've, you know, I know we touched on that earlier, but it's really exciting to see a push for circular systems where the waste of one product or one industry becomes a key ingredient to the new product. And that ultimately, ultimately eliminates uh, waste and encourages recycling. And really, you know, there's the story of leather right there. Yeah, let's, let's come back to that because I want to hear more about that. But I also want to help people understand um, this declare label. So okay. for those that don't know what a declare label is, like Beverly was saying, it's essentially a nutritional label for products. So just like your label on the back of your cereal box might tell you exactly what is in that cereal, which is always a, an interesting journey as you look for cereal for your kids. Um, <laughs> the declare label says exactly what's inside of uh, a material. So for more Giles, we actually have the world's only declare label on leather and Beverly, help me get this right. We have that declare label on how many uh, articles right now? We have four different products with multiple colors. Each of them has a different characteristic. And so those declare labels then can be used in lead pro lead projects, correct? To help the designer uh, acquire more points? Yes. So um, with a declare, I'm going to back up just a little bit. The declare program has um, a label and there are three different types of labels. Okay. The most important and the best hardest to achieve label is the red list free label. And that is what we have on all four of our products to have a red list free declare label means that designers can obtain points for lead well-certified projects and LBC projects or living building challenge projects. So it's, it's even beyond the, the lead um, certifications at this point. And then designers will use that leather for seating, correct? For walls? Oh yeah. For, for so things we, inside of that project. Absolutely. The best way for, in regard to lead, the best way to look at it is if you were to take that building and turn it upside down and shake it, <laughs> if it if the product the leather was on did not fall out then you're then you're good so handrails drawer pulls banquettes wall panels things like that rather than loose furniture so much well and um, speaking of that we just had our previous podcast with bill amberg you know and his mm -hmm. focus is leather work that is architectural and so you know to to kind of drive that home architectural leather work are those things that Beverly that you just described that if you were to turn the building upside down, you know, they don't fall out. And so when you look at those things, Beverly, are you seeing some like new ways to use these declare label compliant uh, leathers for you know, lead certification? Right. Absolutely. So everything I just mentioned and um, upholstered doors, elevator cabs, um, you know, the, the walls, again, wall, wall applications. You know, I've, I have, over the years, uh, had many, many installations on the wall, whether it be a residence or a stadium, you know, and everything in between. It, it's gorgeous. It's acoustical. Uh, it's tactile. And it is just, um, it sets a space apart. So, the vertical application is probably one of my personal favorites. And if you think about it as well, on a drawer pull, hardware, handrail, you know, you're, you're, you're required to touch it. You know, yeah. you just you get your hand on it and you have that connection. 
Um, I'm also seeing in the hospitality market a lot of millwork and, and desk mm. desktops and um, reception or you know check-in areas or uh, bank teller stations, things like that. You know where you would be writing on a, surf- a surface of leather or placing your hand or your articles on a, a leather surface while you're filling out forms or something like that. Uh, so to be candid and sensitive of the kind of time period that we're in now, you know, we're in the middle of this global pandemic. And so people are, you know, more concerned probably with health and well-being now than we were even a month ago or two months ago. How do you see this changing design in the future and how does leather play a role in that? You know, um, it is, these are interesting times, aren't they? Um, every day is a little bit different. Through all of this, the human footprint on the earth has, you know, lightened considerably. And we're seeing, you know, we're seeing a, a, a big drop in carbon dioxide and nit- nitrogen dioxide in the atmosphere. You've probably seen the stories online or in the news that, you know, the airs are clearing and the waters, the typically polluted waters are clear and some really interesting um, social media articles about animals appearing in places they typically wouldn't be, uh, which is kind of fun to, fun to see. As we move into a new normal, I would anticipate that we'll all shift our focus a little bit. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll all have plenty of toilet paper at home from now on. I don't think that's ever going to become <laughs> scarcity in our house again. Um, but in all seriousness, I think it will make sense to focus efforts toward timeless and durable products like leather that reduce waste and encourage a healthy environment and provide value and beauty for future generations. Um, I just, I think people are going to start looking at uh, obviously the health of our interiors. That's already become a, a daily question that I'm getting in my inbox, you know, um, regarding leather or the maintenance or cleaning of, of leather in response to COVID-19. Um, but I think, you know, in a time of crisis, even if it's a, a car accident, you know, you, you gain clarity really quickly as to what is truly important. So I'm already seeing, you know, people are cutting out the unnecessary spending and investing wisely in products that will last and provide value, um, products that matter. Yeah. And, you know, circling back to that story earlier that I told of the gentleman with his chair and and the family, you know, if you think about the things that are important to you, it is family, it is your story. And um, I think leather will remain an important part of that story moving forward. And the thing that we know specifically that happens with a leather chair is that it just gets better with age, whether it's your story, whether it's the the leather chair and it's Sackett's home that we've seen for the last 12 years from Lee that has just aged and gotten better and better and better, whether it's our own product at Moore and Giles, these chairs are meant to last. Um, but as we talk about furniture, I think we also have to talk about the finished goods, right? Like we make... Mm-hmm finished goods at Moore and Giles out of leathers that we love and that we stand behind and we think are the finest in the world. Um, those products themselves are actually going to get better with age. They're going to carry the wear and patina of the user. And, you know, as you go through life and your work, one day it will be outside of your home again. 
mm-hmm. they they take on that life with you. And so as we look at our weekend bag, you know, you can think about it traveling with you around the world and those mm-hmm. those marks are earned. You know, they uh, they're uniquely yours. Uh, your briefcase as it goes back and forth to the office with you again, things that aren't so fragile that you're afraid to use them. But as they wear in, they just become more beautiful and more meaningful. And I think that's something that we just stand behind at More Giles. And I think it's, if you love leather like we do, I think it's something that, you know, you kind of take for granted. You think everybody understands that and believes that. But when you start to get out there again in that consumer culture, you realize that like people really are just buying for right now. They're not thinking mm-hmm. down the road of, okay, are my kids going to fight over this? Is this something that I can use in 10 years? Uh, and, and I want to encourage us just to make that mindset shift, especially as we talk about true sustainability. It's that not only are these products made in a way that's sustainable, but they're useful over such a longer span that they're not going to end up in the landfill like a lot of the cheap furniture is today, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. A good, you know, I find that most people that maybe haven't experienced a good natural leather mm. um, or those that aren't leaning toward leather at, in their personal or professional use, yeah. they're looking at the experience they've had with their car. Mm. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's funny. Like they've peeled themselves off of their leather seat in a hot summer day or they, they feel the cold or they've seen it crack and, yeah. and, and not look great over time. And, you know, sure, if that's what all leather was like, I get it. I wouldn't necessarily want to use it either, but it isn't. Yeah. <laughs> that is not representative of, of a good leather. And so, you know, what, what we're talking about here is, a, is what we love and carry and are so proud of is, you know, our natural yeah. leathers with Moore and Giles. Um, they wear in with time. And like I said earlier, you know, that a good leather has its worst day as its first day. It just gets better with age. It becomes an old friend, whether it's a chair or a handbag or a pair of shoes. It's something that is meaningful, becomes part of your story. You want to hold that and you, you know, you turn heads. I'll be honest. You know, I've, I've had a couple of leather bags that I've traveled with with this company and um, it never fails every time I'm in an airport or in another city where some, someone or multiple people will stop me and say, where did you get that? I love that bag, you know, and, yeah. and they're just not uh, necessarily having the, the experience with a, with a good quality leather that, uh, that they should. That analogy of your car is such a good one. The, that is a great point that the majority of us, our biggest interaction with leather is in an automobile. Um, let's talk about that leather really quick um, because we also sell automotive leather. We sell aviation leather. Um, and I would argue that our version of automotive and aviation leather is very different from the standard, what you would call yes. OEM yes, absolutely. products, correct? Absolutely. So if you think of, um, we're not talking about the, the automotive leather that is standard in your Ford or Toyota or whatever, you know, this is automotive leather that some really, really special upholsterers and artisans utilize in classic cars and customizations. You know, if you ever saw a show like Pimp My Ride, for instance, or something like that, you know, these are really unique applications that are gorgeous. Um, 
on the, on the aviation side, we're talking the private aviation industry, which is very different than the Southwest flight you were on a month ago or whatever. It's um, high, high quality German hides, mm -hmm. which are the best in the world. And um, just enough finish on them to be protected and to pass all the necessary FAA tests, but not so much that it feels like plastic. It, you know, it acclimates to the environment. You won't peel yourself off of it. It won't feel like a, a cold brick. It's, it feels like neutral. It's, it's mm -hmm. wonderful. That's a great point. If you want to know how good a leather is, the temperature of that leather is a great indicator, right? So if it, it's extremely hot or extremely cold, it is not a, a quality leather. Would you agree with that? Yes. Well, you know, the more finish a leather has on it, the more, the more it's going to not acclimate to the temperature, you know, it'll yeah. be, it'll be resistant. Uh, so a natural leather that has very little finish obviously is going to be your best bet. So many people are afraid of those leathers because of the patina. Um, but you know, they, I hear often people say, well, it's hard to maintain when actually it's really easy. It's just about understanding that you're, you're gaining that patina mm -hmm. as character. It's part of the character of the leather yeah. and you let it happen. Um, there are some really easy ways to maintain your leather much easier than some of the faux products out there uh, or the alternatives. Yeah, I think uh, real quick to give a little bit of insight, let's go back to the automotive piece for a minute. Yeah. The majority of cars or trucks out there that say they have a leather interior, the entire interior is not leather. Uh, what you're really getting is maybe a panel or two in the, in the front of the seat that you're sitting on or the back that, that might be a pigmented leather. Uh, there's a good chance that a big portion of the rest of it is a faux material or synthetic material. Um, and that leather itself, the part that is leather is so heavily pigmented that it's essentially painted. And what happens is, is that if you were to scratch or cut that leather, like a lot of you guys have, if you have kids or animals in the car or whatever, you start to see that, wow, it's not, it doesn't look like the same color all the way through. It looks white or it looks like a different color than the black that's on top or the gray that's on top. And the reason that is is because it's, it's painted. Um, so what we're talking about when we talk about natural leather, especially as we talk about a true aniline leather is that that dye is going to be the same all the way through. A lot of times the crust color, which is the, the leather that has been tanned, uh, before the finishing stages, that crust color is going to be the same as the finish on top as far as like color and hue. So if you were to scratch a Moore and Giles brown leather, let's take Brompton, for example, that brown that is on top is going to be the brown that's all the way through. So as Beverly's saying, like when it comes to repairing or fixing or cleaning or caring for, it's so much easier because really what you're doing is, is you're just moving waxes and oils back into a place that covers up whatever scar or uh, scratch happened. In addition to that, because it's not pigmented, which again means painted, what happens is, is that things like spills and stains um, are able to kind of permeate or spread across the, the collagen fibers and they actually disappear over a period of time. We had a situation in, in our house a few months ago where a friend was over again in that beautiful leather chair in the corner and she accidentally spilled a plate of olive oil. We were, you know, having Italian bread and she spilled mm -hmm. it on the corner of the chair. 
she freaked out. Well, mm -hmm. we said, Hey, don't worry about it. I promise you in two weeks, you won't even be able to notice. And it's true that that's what was a stain from this oil has completely dissipated in the chair. Um, and it's gone. Uh, right. and so what I would encourage you guys to do is uh, don't let that uh, interaction with, uh, what people have told you is leather, whether that's been bonded leather at the cheap furniture store or the leather in your, like Beverly said, in your Toyota or your Ford or whatever, right off the assembly line, be what you consider to be the best leather experience in the world because right. it's not. And right. don't get me wrong. We believe that every hide that is tanned is useful and that every hide that is tanned um, has a place. But as we talk about specifically about natural leather, we're talking about leather that again, when you scratch it, when you have a blemish on it, when you, it gets marked up, you can tell that it is leather through and through. Beverly, people talk about the three pillars of sustainability, uh, environmental, social, and economic. But what does that really mean? You know, if you break it down a little bit, um, if we talk about environmental protection, you know, I think carbon footprint, uh, waste, water usage, uh, the overall impact on the environment that your processes, you know, has or your product um, packaging, things like that. You look at social responsibility, then you're talking about your community, uh, the treatment of the employees, being a good neighbor to your local, regional, and global communities, really. Um, and then the economic practice is, you know, responsible use of resources in order to sustain profit. So yeah, we don't expect people to not make money. I mean, that's, you know, that's the way the world runs, right? <laughs> but um, using responsible practices uh, and using your resources and your natural resources responsibly in order to sustain your profits is very, very important. So I think that I think the industry of architecture and design is definitely tackling that. I think there are a lot of companies out there that are doing a really good job. Um, I know that we are really pushing toward that as well by introducing new processes and products that are great for the environment. But um, I think it's something that is starting to shift from just looking at meeting the needs of the present without compromising future needs to creating a positive or a net positive impact on the environment now that will make the needs of the future generations not be as great. Like they will have something better to build upon than what exists now, giving back more than we're taking. And that's, that's what's exciting about kind of the sustainability or regenerative movement is to create something that gives back versus something that just lessens what we're taking away. Beth, how are we doing at Moore Giles when it comes to sustainability? I think we're doing great. You know, one big feather in our cap that I'm very proud of is that we are the company that has led the industry with the olive tanning movement. Olive tanning is a fairly new process. We are the only, currently the only leather supplier that carries any olive tan products. I mean, it's like the greenest story ever when it comes to leather, using a byproduct from the olive industry to tan, a byproduct from the meat industry, and at the same time, not requiring additional equipment 
to manufacture the product. So you're reducing the need to, you know, create more CO2 and all of that with new equipment. It's a cradle to cradle approved tanning process. It is, it's, it's really pretty great. So that to me can turn the whole industry on its ear and we are the folks leading the charge. You know, we've gone to many of our tanneries and asked them to take a leap of faith with us and create product. We've gone to many design studios and architecture firms and furniture manufacturers and done the same. Um, as with any product out there that is truly sustainable or regenerative, it will take people purchasing it and using it to gauge the success of our environmental stewardship. You know, we can make it and have a great story, but until it's used, it doesn't seem to, to go, to go very far. Otherwise, you know, I think we partner with some of the best, best tanneries in the world and they really do a good job of meeting very strict requirements, especially in Europe, but not only Europe. Um, when it comes to, you know, being reach compliance with every chemical that comes into the tannery, you know, looking at how they treat their water sources and how they treat their communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the, the um, positive impact that some of our tanneries have had on the animal we- welfare. I mean, we're a by- leather's a byproduct of the meat industry. So some of these tanneries in the past years have received in, in past decades have received hides that didn't look so good. So it has caused them to hop up that food chain a little bit, hop up that supply chain and say, Hey, to the farmers, you know, how are you treating your cattle? Um, it has caused um, laws to change as I understand it and how, and standards as to how the animals are protected and treated uh, during their time under the other industry's responsibility. The majority of our raw material is grass-fed cattle. Like if that mm-hmm. its primary material source is grass-fed cattle from Warren Giles, whether that's been out of the UK or it's been out of New Zealand, um, they really have the best animal practices in the world. And what we're really talking about is, Hey, I am a, 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 a farmer of beef. Um, I'm raising cattle specifically for the beef industry. So you can have a hamburger or a steak and the, the way that I care for these animals while they're part of my farm meets certain standards that are very high. They're grazing on grass. They're not in a feedlot. Um, if you didn't grow up on a farm, you don't know what a feedlot looks like. It's not a great place for an animal. And so the fact that the majority of our hides come from grass fed cattle, I think is something that's really beautiful. And as we talk about true sustainability, um, I think is something that we should talk about more often. We just don't. Beth, thanks for spending time with us today. I mean, this has been so good and it's just such a good reminder that the work that we do is truly is about sustainability. I think the, the best sentence of the day might be that leather is sustainability. Um, mm-hmm. any, any closing thoughts from you? You know, really just to, um, you know, for, for people moving forward to make decisions that are timeless, you know, whether it's leather or something else, just for people to really understand that the decisions you're making impact more than yourself um, and to take ownership of that 
and, and really utilize the opportunity to build a better world. And, and there's so much positive out there, you know, whether it's in the architectural and design industry, the leather industry, or, or something else, you know, that you're interested in, you know, it, just really taking your existence on this planet as an opportunity to create a positive impact. So good, Beverly. Thanks for your time today and sure. I look forward to seeing you in person very soon.